This session is brought to you with the help of Sundial Cannabis, the natural alternative for modern wellness. Hello and welcome to Sessions by the Herb Life. My name is Tiana, your friendly sessions facilitator, and we are back for season two with a new lineup of women, mostly with a sprinkling of men here and there, who have made cannabis their business. Sessions is a podcast that aims to bring forth the conversations that are happening on the ground of the cannabis industry to generate new ideas and highlight the dedication of some of the plant's greatest advocates. By bringing together a rotating roster of people with an emphasis on women and diversity, we hope to share with you the passions, the challenges, and the triumphs of those working in the cannabis space. Much like you, my job really is to sit back and enjoy the ride. And enjoy I did, particularly this episode, as the two guests you're about to hear from happen to own my local and favourite dispensary in Vancouver, the Village Bloomery. Our guests, Andrea and Jeremy, opened the village back in 2015, where they operated as a grey market store. They closed up shop for a few weeks back in July and August of this year and were reborn as a legal, licensed cannabis retailer in late August. This episode, they talk about their transition into the legal framework and more importantly, how this has affected consumers both new and old. Legal cannabis is, of course, still in its infancy with plenty of kinks that have yet to be ironed out. So there's a lot of illuminating information for any of you interested in understanding the new system and the challenges cannabis retailers face. In the golden age of cannabis retail, as Jeremy puts it, the village was a really great example of how a dispensary can service the community it operates within. Everything from the design of the store, to the flower products they offered, to the curation of other products, to the staff, was carefully developed to ensure customers felt like they were in good hands. I know I always did. Just Listening to them talk about the relationships they developed with growers across the years, the effort they put into having only top quality products, leaves a little to be desired from the new legal framework for sure. But of course, if anyone can do it, the village can, as they hold themselves to a very high standard. And thankfully, they've been able to retain their quality service in, in many respects, despite the additional challenges. It should be said that while it is true that in BC, where cannabis was far ahead of many other locations in the country, legalisation has indeed stifled access to cannabis, among other issues. Yet we can still view these changes as a step in the right direction on a grander scale, one which measures universal access to cannabis for Canadian across the country. All in all, a very fascinating episode with Jeremy and Andrea of The Village Bloomery. And without further ado, I'll pass it over to them. Well, hi, Herb Life audience. This is Andrea and Jeremy from Village Bloomery. Hello, hello. Uh, or Jeremy and Andrea, depends on how you look at it. <laughs> So we're happy to be on the Herb Life's podcast today, and we're just going to have a chat about how retail is shaping up in BC. Mm -hmm. And what it's been like, I guess, the journey across on some level, or using it as a, co a comparison, pre-regulation to regulation. Speaking of which, mm -hmm. what about the regulations? Do you feel like overall the way that this industry has been regulated is adequate, overkill, good for the industry, bad for the industry? Abby, what do you think? Uh, I think it depends where you are. For me, as someone who's a Vancouverite and who is witness to what goes on in BC, I can see that it's quite a shocking change for many people. Uh, granted, if you go across the country, you can walk into a cannabis retail store anywhere and legally purchase cannabis. So that to me is a really powerful and positive change. 
but I do I do empathize and I do see where regulations need to be reevaluated. Yeah, from from my experience, you know, I guess I always go back to September 2016 when I had the privilege of sitting with the, the Federal Task Force on Legalization. Mm-hmm. Anne McClellan commented that BC is about 20 years ahead of the rest of the country in our understanding of the plant, our adoption and our use of the plant, the way it's been normalized in our society. So in my ongoing conversations, I would always bring that up. So speaking with Health Canada or or federal policymakers, I was asking them over and over again, hey, BC is a unique situation. We need a carve out. We need an exception for BC. Mm-hmm. And they said, no, we're making rules for a nation. We can't have provincial carve-outs. We'll never get through. And getting national legalization is more important. Mm-hmm. So we get why these rules, these regulations, feel like we've been beaten back into the dark ages of cannabis mm-hmm. um, because we've we've lived in a, in a more progressive, enlightened climate around mm-hmm. cannabis for a couple of decades mm-hmm. here. Yeah. So, so for most consumers in B.C., Walking into a cannabis shop and realizing that you can't get your topical ointments for your grandmother or your mother, and you can't get the CBD or THC vaporizer that you used to get because it was so discreet and then worked so well. Like these are things that now consumers in BC have to wait for, and and it's literally driving people away from the regulated market. So it doesn't make the regulations don't make our role easier as retailers in BC. Yeah, but like you said, in most of the country. They're just happy to have storefront retail. It's also a bit of a shock for people who have identified cannabis as a medicinal plant and who have been comfortable walking into dispensaries across Vancouver, uh, all across BC, and possibly the rest of the country, where you had access to concentrated products that may have come in handy for a myriad of, of pain or seizure disorders or whatever. Yeah, and, and so that conversation kind of got cut short for a lot of those people, and they are left wondering, where do I turn? Who do I speak to? And yeah, they're left with, with with inadequate access from the licensed producers. Licensed mm-hmm. producers can't give them the full range of products they enjoyed in the unregulated market. Mm-hmm. And and this segues nicely into what are the retail challenges in this new landscape. Mm-hmm. It has everything to do with the loss of product diversity. Well, I want to focus on one thing, though, that I think overall is is really, really positive. And as much as we work to create a space that was very friendly to new consumers, I can see that we had become incredibly knowledgeable and we had incredibly um, sophisticated products in our shop. And that was overwhelming in hindsight. That could have been overwhelming to people who were very brand new. And many people did not make their way into the back of our shop. Our shop is set up so that the front is oils and capsules and the back is flowers. People were kind of intimidated to go into the back because they knew that's where the really fancy stuff took place, right? Um, Now that it's all prepackaged and boxed and sort of sealed up and tidy in a way, it's less intimidating for people who know nothing about and they start to consider brands and how brands present themselves. And it's a little more like other products that they may see in the cosmetic realm or in the food and beverage realm. There's something... Something positive in that space. Okay, exactly my point. I think it needs work. Like the what you're doing is shining a light on some of the positives. Yeah. But what we're trying to do is focus on the challenges right now. That's it's it's about what are the challenges you're finding. Okay. Well, well, what's in that? Being more accessible, being the positive. The challenge immediately comes forward is that 
much of this product has been purchased sight unseen, so we don't have a really clear descriptor for what to expect. We went out of our way to make that not a reality, although each batch is different and we don't get to see each batch. So there's a sight unseen issue that's that's a challenge. There's also a uh, packaging challenge. Everyone knows this. Whereas somebody might come in and say, oh, I'm, I'm interested in this brand. And then you show them the box and they'll say, oh, my God, no, I don't want that. <laughs> it, it, it's it's a little shocking for people to, to see that there's this many layers between them and a little tiny piece of plant matter. So that's challenging for me. Let's, let's hone in on that a little bit because... This is 2012. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> it's 2012. It's time to get on top of this. Yeah, let's, let's get up to date. No, it's 2019. And we have islands of plastic floating in our oceans. We have bans on single-use bags and straws in some municipalities in our country. And yet we have these onerous, you know, product-heavy packaging laws that govern cannabis. When you go into a cannabis shop and you want to buy a half ounce of cannabis, mm-hmm. instead of walking away with a bag, a baggie or a jar, mm-hmm. you walk away with four boxes, three to four boxes um, with containers inside that are sometimes double walled, that are bulkier than they need to be for the amount of cannabis inside due to the, the labeling requirements. Mm-hmm. So we've seen regulation create uh, an environmental predator out of the cannabis industry where before it wasn't one. Well, that's something I don't fully understand because as I understand it, Health Canada says we have not mandated the type of packaging that must be used. We have set these parameters in place and the producers have chosen these packages. So it's like, okay, on the one hand, yes, but then the parameters that they've set in place mandate that it must be child safe, that it must be airtight, that it, there's a number Virgin of plastic as well. Plastic. And then, you know, safety warnings, yeah. um, you know, products, information, um, THC stop sign, the brand logo itself, like it's, so the, the guys have to try to figure out how to allocate that real estate yeah. in a package that will get their product noticed on the shelf. Sure. And, you know, and they, they're thinking is more is more. Yeah. Easy to stack, easy to carry, etc. And that's the truth. They're not being successful. We are having a really challenging time determining what what is the phenotype or what is the strain cultivar name. Um, what's the percentages? The language they're speaking is slightly different. Uh, they're they're. It's just you have to have reading glasses, even if you don't need reading glasses to see the tiny tiny font. Yeah. So that that becomes challenging. Let me chime in here because mm-hmm. one of the key things now around. You know, you, you triggered my memory. Mm-hmm. Pre-regulation, mm-hmm. we had clearly defined products. We're talking about oils now, mm-hmm. and easily differentiated bottles. Yeah. So if you wanted to take a CBD tincture to go to sleep, yeah. you wouldn't accidentally take your THC and, and end up no. staying awake, really activated. No. Um, you know, the ratios that we used to rely on, one to one, three to one, four to one, uh, the formulators in the pre-regulation world would ensure that they had the right proportion of the THC extracts and CBD extracts to give you those ratios consistently. And we haven't seen the regulated producers take those cues from the unregulated market and create those distinct ratios because people find their place within those ratios and we're not able to supply them with those products they've come to depend on. Again, this goes back to us being so far ahead in the future, right? So maybe that is not a language that existed throughout the country. And I was talking about how it's interesting that when some when a country is colonized, the first thing you do is change the language so that they 
they don't have their internal dialogue, that they can't have their power centers. And I get it. In a way, you have to kind of create this universal tongue that everyone's going to understand. That said, taking cues from proven markets would have been wise. Um, and yeah, that, that, that is true. Um, the other thing that I was going to think about here, though, you just forgotten. We were talking about the percentages, the ratios, the package differentiation. There is a challenge with yeah differentiating product from product, and some some people are doing it well actually. Like it's on not flower packages, like, this is again like you know talking about a challenge in packaging. On flower packages, they'll often be identical packaging, and then the sole identifier of what's different about what's inside the package is in the smallest font. Yeah, hardest to find instead of right beside the brand logo strain name, mm-hmm. they've got it buried in the technical data about what's in the package. And that brings us to another challenge is when people look at a flower and they want to know what's the potency of this flower, percent by weight and THC and CBD, those are the things that make the most sense to consumers. Um, But when you look at the the regulated packages, it gets very confusing. They have a flower that's supposed to be, you know, 20% THC. And then the first line says 0.79% THC. And you're going, what? And then the next line says total THC, 20.5%. So if you want to be a a cannabis geek, well, if you are a cannabis geek (laughs) and you're scrutinizing this and trying to figure out what's going on, you'll realize that the 0.79% is THC Delta 9. Mm -hmm. Some activated THC exists in all dried flowers. And then the total THC is the THC Delta 9 plus the THC acid. Mm -hmm. And it should be the THC acid less than 12% when the acid group leaves. And that would be your total THC. But they don't adequately quantify the numbers that they're giving you. So most consumers end up completely confused about how potent their plant is. Further, there are ranges. You'll have something that says, oh, this cannabis plant may contain anywhere from 11 to 18% or, you know, 12 to 24. It's like, that's a big range. (laughs) That's a big range. It's it's too big a range. So from, from our knowledge in the pre-regulated industry, mm-hmm. um, we know that the same phenotype of a plant mm-hmm. given to the same grower mm-hmm. who uses the same feeding and watering methods, mm-hmm. it's going to be plus or minus 10% from its average THC content. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to figure out how they had a 50% variance in some of these regulated flowers. And then I got the answer from someone. Um, many of these large greenhouses under cultivation it could all be blue dream, but there could be 24 phenotypes in that, you know, 100,000 square foot greenhouse. So you get a tremendous variance in the cannabinoid profile and the terpene profile. So it means that not just from batch to batch, you'll see variances, but within the same batch, you'll see variances. Another challenge for me, though, is like back in the day when we were unregulated, uh, we had relationships with grower and growers and we got it directly. We would buy potentially a pound, a pound and a half, maybe two if it was something very desirable and then you would have that on hand for a nice run and then just when you were running out the harvest was coming down and you could replace it and it was a pretty tight little system and now i'll buy something one week and it's out of stock and i can't get it back from the the distribution channel so i'm thinking this is interesting like the consistency of access is now not as consistent and oddly the the distributor who is also a retailer they will have and they have stock that they need. So I'm not really feeling the love at this point. It's a big challenge. Keeping all of the private retailers yeah. stocked. And that that's that is 
that is a big one. That's a big challenge. And I respect what the, the, the LDB is doing. I mean, I know that they're doing a lot of work and they've got a big, a big learning curve in terms of storage and distribution and, and retailing themselves. But I feel like it was probably not a wise idea to have a distribution channel that is also a retailer right out of the gate. How it affects consumers is that when you go from shop to shop, you're, you're going to see a lot of the same products. Retailers who understand cannabis are going to quickly navigate their way through the, the selection of flowers at the LDB and figure out what people want. And then there's going to be a lot of competition for just those products. And so the challenges that we're facing, like Andrea said, is that, you know, we'll try something, find that it works, go back to get more, and it's done. One of the things that's an underlying challenge here, you know, the LDB recently um, put a limit on orders, $350,000 per week. So that's a massive amount of product. And most, most small retailers can't afford that. But what we suspect is that there are big retailers who are aware of what the desirable products are, and they are maxing out their orders and basically getting monopoly positions on products. So we have a monopoly retailer that chooses what products we get to select, and then they don't have any checks and balances. Well, actually, I shouldn't say any. They have a $350,000 cap when they're distributing to retailers. Per week. So if I'm a publicly traded retailer and I have 20 shops across the country and I have three in Vancouver or in BC, well, I can go ahead and buy all of the uh, Broken Coast products, all of the Whistler Organic, or all of the Quest, or, or whatever, and, and leave the smaller retailers wondering where all the quality products are. So it's... Well, and here's another layer. There isn't a manufacturer-suggested retail price. So in any other commodity, there's an MSRP. And if I produce this, I want it to be sold at X dollars. That's the general. To protect your brand integrity. Right? But that's not how it is here. It's basically, you mark it up as much as you want to mark it up. So... You may have some people who say, I've got this, I've got a long run, I've got tons of money, I don't need to make money for the next five years, I'm going to sell it at $1 above cost. And then you may have other people who say, I've got a tiny business with a lot of, I've got to stock, I've got to mark this at 200%. Like, there's no rhyme or reason for the pricing, so the consumer may walk into one store and say, oh, look, here's X brands, this product, and it costs this much, I love it. Oh, there's another shop, I'm going to go there. Wait, why is it so much cheaper, or why is it so much more expensive? That doesn't create any kind of brand loyalty or loyalty or integrity either. So it's, it's a bit of the Wild West still. And that's, that's unsettling for me. So, so back to how this affects consumers, it means that they don't have the confidence that their favorite retailer will have their favorite product when they want to go shop. Mm -hmm. um, they don't have the same selection that they might have had under the pre-regulation days. Mm -hmm. um, you know, same products, same in different stores. And, uh, you know, I think ultimately for the consumer, they're, they're losing out. You know, one of the, one of the great things about the era that we left, which I like to call the golden age of cannabis access. <laughs> One of the great things was you could have a small batch producer in, you know, Powell River on the Sunshine Coast. And they can give you a beautiful exotic flower that was only at your shop. And you could have it tested. You could make sure that it was cleanly grown. And you had something that was unique and that differentiated your shop. And that could create that brand loyalty that, you know, many consumers want to give to their favorite retailer. So, so that potential has been eroded away. There's also people who are like, like ourselves, like there are people who are in this industry who want to 
focus and rely on data collecting and that data collecting will transfer back to the to the, the producers and then they will they will start to refine their processes and and that if, if that is comfortable for you that's that's great there are lots of apps you can subscribe to and you can start giving people all of your information um, but I I'm somewhat leery of that for a number of different reasons I, I want people to I don't want to collect their data, basically. I want people to encourage people to, to journal and to discuss with people and to go analog with their experience, right? Uh, that may be a bit romantic. I don't know. Um, but that's how I feel, and that's that's how we're operating at the village currently, that we're, we're, going to, we're going to do our own analysis. And, of course, there is some data collected in terms of raw purchase data, data but it's not assigned to an individual person or their particular likes and dislikes. You can't actually collect side, personal data anymore. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. But no, but there is there are workarounds with apps that tie into your POS systems that identify who you are, what your demographic is, what your preferences, what your preferences, are. what your buying behaviors are. And I'm not. I'm just not interested in collecting that. But I am interested in working with people to journal and to track what it is that you purchased, what you liked, what you didn't like. So that comes down to how do we select products. So we actually select products like a consumer might. We, we buy samples from the, the liquor distribution, so the, the BC Canvas store as a regular customer, because you're not allowed to get samples from anybody, so you have to buy them. And then you want to burn test them and smell them and feel them and do all the things that you would do to any other cannabis product that you, you might have done in the past. Um, there are extra layers that we've added. We've done things like rehydrated product that was old and, and found that it actually does come back to life. And so, and some things are best baked versus best rolled. And we have established these kinds of nuances through our own trial and error. And that's basically what we have to do and encourage people to do themselves. Really, if you've heard that houseplant is exciting and they've got great social media and you come in and you ask for that, that's a baseline. You've had that experience. Now come back and talk about what that was like. And you want to know what the cultivar was. Well, it's actually a chem dog cultivar. And there are other makers of chem dog. And you could explore a number of chem dogs and see if you like them, if there's any difference between them. And and that's how you will develop that brand loyalty long term. I do appreciate brands to sort of have a uh, something to, to run your comparison against. Um, and just like growers back in the day, there were growers that people loved and growers that people just like, you know, didn't remember, you know. So that's that's kind of what's going on currently. It's it's all about exploring, discussing, journaling, and going back out there. So yeah, I think that you know if we're going to take this back to the consumers, or you know, mm-hmm. just continuing to, t- to talk about the consumers, mm-hmm. picking product has traditionally been about smelling and and then buying a small sample and then trying it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can still get smell jars, you can still have smell samples, they might not tell you as much as the old school, you know, one ounce smell sample. Now it's like a, a gram smell sample, right? So I, I think that one of the tactics that many consumers are using to help pick their products is online, online research. Sure. Um, you know, Leafly is now rating cannabis products. Mm-hmm. Um, Reddit has um, a huge thread on regulated cannabis flowers. Mm-hmm. Lyft does their own rating system. And there's another one that Unity mentioned that I don't remember, but it was actually the best. Um, remember, it was had an interesting name, Strawberry or something, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he had like 1,200 tests. And oh, he was Pancake Nap. Pancake That's a, a blogger, really great Yeah, best review. I to be honest. We shouldn't say he, we should say they. Okay. <laughs> I didn't think I said he, but the recording will tell us. <laughs> but no, I think that 
I think that, you know, using the internet to research the licensed producers will give you a baseline. So when you walk into a store, you got to feel for the lay of the land. You know what brands you might be looking for. You, you have an idea of what, what cultivars of theirs might have gotten the better reviews. And then you can, you can, you don't have to start from zero like we were doing when we were sampling and getting our first order together. What is interesting though is you will find a lot more drama around those people who have had bad runs. Like if they had a crop fail or if they got powdery mildew and it's like, it's interesting because the producers now are under such a lens and they have a lot of, they have to be accountable. And if something goes wrong, it goes wrong back in the day. I think if you had, if you lost a crop, you just didn't tell anybody. <laughs> so that, you know, you didn't have or to run with that. Or you did. You know, like we would be like, hey, where's the Congo? Sorry, I lost that crop. Yeah. You know, it's a difficult plant to grow or whatever. Like, you know, that's we true. had a better dialogue with our growers. And the, and this too, the people that we work with, but I don't know, there's tons of people that we don't know. They might not have ever said anything. And now if you've had one bad run and the news finds out about it, they're going to grind you and grind you and grind you. So I have a bit of empathy for them on some level. Um, it's a challenging plant to grow. And your last question, how different is your customer service approach in the new regulated market? How different is that? It's not that different, to be honest. We have not changed much at all. It's still very much about giving as much information as we've been able to garner. We've gone above and beyond to find out how this is grown, why did you grow it, where was it grown, what's the maiden name, because a lot of them come in with this new fancy word, like, you know, relax. Utopia. (laughs) Utopia, yeah. And if we can find out what the maiden name of the plant is, and that's, you know, its original whatever it was, a Girl Scout, who knows. Um, yeah, we, we, we take all of our experience and share it and then invite them to, to explore themselves and come back. So it's, it's very similar as it was. It was. Nobody's going Girl Scout in the way. I don't think you're allowed to use Girl Scout. You can't use that word anymore. So it might be out there. We'll see. Well, yeah, I think that's exactly where I was going to go with this. You know, our customer service approach hasn't changed. Um, if anything, it's it's nuanced. It's, it's like a bigger focus on the nuances. Um, you can't say if someone comes in and says, "Hey, I'm in a lot of pain. What do you what do you have for pain?" You can't say, "Oh, try that product. Try that product." It's more like these types of products have worked for pain for some people, you know. And then you can show them the products. But you just have to qualify everything in that it's it's not a guarantee. It's not necessarily going to work for you. It might have worked for them, but that doesn't mean It'll work. You're different, and and it's still about inviting people to explore and try new things and engage. Affordability can become more of an issue in this market, mm-hmm. um, but that's a matter a matter of time. Mm-hmm. And and more producers entering the market, um, more products being available, and and you know the prices will come down as supply increases. And I'm really grateful to have had four years of unregulated market experience where we've developed really good, solid relationships with consumers. And there is a trust that allows us to transfer over to the side. And um, we're using those relationships to help establish a more robust market in BC by uh, including them in our feedback loop. So we have a little card that says, the more we get together, the happier we'll be. (laughs) And on that card, we have our email and we also have the customer service for the BC Canvas branch. branch. And 
with that feedback that with that card, we invite people to give us their feedback. If it's packaging, I get it. Let's talk about that. If it's something you really love, to share that. That helps us. If it's something you're really disappointed with, let's see how we can work around that. A lot of the time is said it was very dry. And that's just a simple rehydration. And it, it really is a game changer. But yeah, we want to be part of that positive feedback. I get it. It's different. We have been set back. There are some challenges. But people are listening, and there are more retailers now than, uh, you know, more regulated retailers now than, than we had, you know, three months ago. Uh, so it's changing, and it's growing, and we're, we're, we're now a voice of regulated retailers who may share uh, similar challenges, and that will help us to put pressure on the people who have the power to make those changes, and, and that's inspiring. So I want to end this up with... Uh, we have an a annual general meeting with our trade association, Acres, and I'm super excited about that because I feel like this is going to be the first time that a lot of us who have been regulated and are over that initial hurdle can come together as a unified voice and start exploring what it is that we want to see moving forward so that we can advocate better for our customers. And I'll just end with, um, you know, our, our journey from the, when we opened our shop to becoming regulated was full of work and political activity and and you know getting on our soapbox and putting ourselves out there and really really advocating for change and for for something better for canadians so now we're here and it's very clear that the job is not done <laughs> the, work is There's the, the work that we did to get here has to be continued with the same intensity if not more because i think that in the regulated world there are going to be more people who understand political engagement and political action and more people who are willing to really get behind this. And, and that's my, my real hope because we're, you know, like she said, we're just at the, at the verge of our first AGM with Acres in the regulated world. And we have um, some great producers who will be there. Um, there's going to be a lot of retailers there. It's going to be the start of something big. And it's, it's nice to not have to look over your shoulder anymore. I'm not worried about... You know, being closed down or, or, you know, being fined or any of that stuff. I feel like we're okay and the shop is okay and my staff is okay. And now we just have to put energy in making this a more enjoyable space. It is recreational after all. We want to pass that joy. <laughs> well, we're going to pass that joy as much as we can. And we want to give a thank you to Herblife for having Andrew and I on board. Yep. Uh, this is Jeremy and Andrew from Village Bloomery. Uh, Herblife and all your listeners. Thank you. Have a great night. Thank you. Day. <laughs> and feel free to visit the village. <laughs>